everybody, welcome back to another episode of Sweet Warrior Life Live. Today we're going to be talking about seven laws of divine providence that you might want to know. My name is Curtis Childs and I'll be your host and with me as always sometimes is Dr. Jonathan Rose. <laughs> hey Curtis. Good to see you again. How are you doing? Good. Missed seeing you last week. Thanks for being here and if you guys have been here before and liked what you saw, don't forget to make it official. Like and subscribe. That stuff is just, it's social media frivolity, but to the algorithm, it does matter. So thanks so much. And the subscription, if you click that bell, you can know whenever our shows come out. And why wouldn't you want to know that, right? Don't, don't answer. We're following up this week. We did a show last week as we do these sort of echo shows to it called Does God Control Good Luck? Mm. You look at us there, obviously engrossed in what's going to happen with this coin. That's right. If let's say we had a wager on this, you know, and it was of some value, the side it landed on could have a big human could impact. Be a big deal. Even though it just seems like a little piddly bit of physics, but is God, is the divine providence in something like that? That's what we're talking about. And what we want to do now is, I don't want to give away the punchline, but I have to, or the, uh, to do this show, which is, yeah, divine providence is involved in that. Yeah, that's right. Swedenborg wrote a whole book called Divine Providence all about this. <clears throat> and he talks about laws that are in there that we're going to be getting into tonight. Today we're talking about the laws of divine providence. And you yourself can follow along with these laws. It may seem like we're doing a little commercial for selling this book right now, but we're not because the book is free. You just go to Swedenborg.com, you can download it, follow along, and we are going to walk step by step through how what things are crucial to the operation of omnipotence on the world that we inhabit every day. Why wouldn't you want to do this? Let, we'll get right to it, but let's get loosened up. Let's get connected first. We're going to do our icebreaker. So if you've got a keyboard, dust it off. Here we go. Because if we don't remember to have this stuff intersect with human beings' lives, it remains this sort of angels on the head of a pin, this needless ivory tower type philosophy. Right. So what we want to do here is we're going to answer a question to the best of our ability. We want all of you at home to answer that same question. Just if you're in the chat right now, type in your answer and we'll be gathering them and compiling them. At the end of the show, we'll see what everybody said and we should get a good picture of the intersection of this divine providence. Is it, if it's really there, if it's really in every single little thing in coin flip, people should be able to see some kind of traces of it. We should have people saying, I seem to see indications that there is such a thing. And that's what our question has to do to, with today. This is it. What have you noticed divine providence at work in your life? A point that I was really interested in, in the show last time <clears throat> was that you see it uh, in the rearview mirror, so to speak. You, you're not necessarily going to see yeah. it right in the now and you'll see it in a spiritual state. And I found myself after I watched the show last week, uh, I woke up in the night, like three in the morning, the, the you next watched night. Show? <laughs> I, I actually watched the whole thing. I hung in there and watched the whole thing. It was great. Okay. And I woke Sorry. up at three in the morning thinking about different things in my life. I, I could really see providence and it was cool. I'll just give you one example was that now that I'm involved in the New Century Edition and you saw those volumes just a little bit ago. Years ago, um, before I was even done graduate school, I was hired on to be the curator of Swedenborgiana Library in the Swedenborg Library, special collections that have to do with Swedenborg's first editions and other things. I was just hired on at a, a pretty 
early, I think it was late 20s or something like that, I was hired yeah. on to do that. Very important in maintaining the link that we have to the original source material of Swedenborg so we can know that we know what he was talking about when we're talking about it to you. Yeah, and I was still learning Latin at that point, and I, and I did that job for 13 years, and then there was came a point when I could go work for the NCE, you know, the New Century Edition, and I really wondered, do I leave this? Because I loved that position and okay. everything. It was hard to leave. But now, looking back, it was like so important to get that foundation. I really came to understand how beautiful Swedenborg's books are, uh, the type of vibrant and even sometimes humorous language they're written in, you know, just very engaging and yeah. lively works. And uh, I, I, would, I would be a very different person if I hadn't been through that. So both getting in there and then moving on to the New Century Edition were the right things in retrospect. I agonized a lot about that, but now I see the hand of providence. I want to stay on the theme of Swedenborgian careers here. And I want to, though, offer this disclaimer. It's no grandiose statement to say, I saw a divine providence in this thing. Because we've already asserted in the Swedenborg asserts, it's in everything. <laughs> it's covering. So for me to you say, can't, you can't get no wrong answers, right? <laughs> so for me to say, I think divine providence brought me here. Yeah, that doesn't mean I think what I'm doing is so great or that I have been specially selected. It's just that here I was able to peek a little bit and see it, what it's actually operating everywhere. So I would just say that m me sitting here. All my involvement with Swedenborg Foundation and Swedenborg in Online, when I look back at that really clearly, I was never steering that ship. I, initially, I didn't have any ambition to be a Swedenborg talk about or onliner guy. I was uh, like embarrassed to talk about religious things on in like social media. I just wanted to, okay, I'll think about it. I was going to go somewhere else. But then this started to get this pull. But then I got this offer for a job sort of in the field. I was like, okay, I'll try it. That went good for a while. But then the, the, there was downsizing there. But then you and some other Swedenborg Foundation folks happened to offer me this little thing that led us to set up the Facebook page on Heaven yeah. and Hell, which, which now was a is, very small beginning when it started. <laughs> it was not supposed yeah. to be. It was supposed to be something very like a very targeted little marketing thing. But then that blew up. Everyone wanted to share their stories, and that got very big. And that got the Swedenborg Foundation to say, "Well, you do you want to do a little more work?" And uh, then I'd had this. Off I don't need to go into all the details to say uh, I didn't. I, nothing that's worked well between us, nothing that's worked well <laughs> that I've been a part of, I thought was going to go how it went. Yeah, right. So it's yeah. got to be, pro I mean, if pro so it's not to say that the, this, the, this internet show is the most important thing to Divine Providence, but I sure do notice that this, this thing came to be, and it wasn't because I sat down 10 years ago and said, this is, this is where it's going, and we'll go here, buy this, and we'll do that. And in my own life, the places I end up sometimes are happier than the place I thought would make me happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's more satisfaction and fulfillment uh, where I ended up than where I thought would be the best place for me to go. And then I was thwarted in that in various ways. Particularly in the more subtle realms of altruism versus self-centered gratification right. that I used to think, yeah, the, the more everyone thinks I'm awesome, the better things are. But Swedenborg makes these astonishing claims that actually, even in the last episode, that the peace you get from living in mutual love, trusting God, um, metabolizing truths and living by them, you know, pulling back the veneer mm. and seeing life for what it, it really is, that's better than the feeling of getting what you want. 
mm. which is amazing and it's amazing. takes the pressure off. Anyway, I hope you guys, we, we, we ran a little bit off course there, but hopefully you are writing your response. When have you seen divine providence working in your life? Okay, I feel like warmed up. Let's get to talking about the laws of divine providence. Mm. We're going to begin with these laws that, that fall into the, the categories freedom and evil. We are not going all the way through every chapter heading. That's right. And it's funny the way Swedenborg does his chapter headings in this work, isn't it? Where they're kind of really sort of whole sentences. Yeah. They're longer than, you know, Rome, Paris, you yeah. know. It, it, he has a whole sentence in there. That was, that was an old school thing to do because even books now that we call heaven and hell it was actually heaven and its wonders and hell and the things like that. yeah that, that's, that's right so that used to be how you did it one one little factoid about that is that what Bing. they used to do is take your title page and use that they'd print extras of those and use that as a poster to hang up so it would mm -hmm. be as wordy as a poster as opposed to something that would really just yeah. work as a title page of a book or something. How did that, you, did cool you know book. that in your Swedenborgiana archives? Just, just, yeah, that was from working in Swedenborgiana. So these are not all of the laws of divine providence, but these are ones we thought would fit well. And so you, if you've downloaded the book, can read along. Um, in the physical world, let me preface this by saying, everybody is pretty much on board with the idea that there are laws that govern the physical world, which is the world we all agree on and all participate in. Yeah, I don't know anybody who's against the law of gravity or just doesn't believe in it or something like that. It's, yes. It's something that unites most people I know. We know that we probably don't have our understanding of those laws 100% correct. Certain what we've seen that True. change over time. Even things that would seem like subtle shifts like from Newtonian physics to modern quantum mechanics but actually have huge implications. And there are other laws we don't understand yet. But we do know that there is a structure that we are trying to get we're, we're fairly certain there's a structure that, that repeats and that is consistent that we're trying to get the right language around. Yeah, and forever the term law, you know, has been used for that, yeah. hasn't it? There's some sense, that, oh no, there's a principle here that applies on all, on all levels. So could it be that if the physical world is structured that way, would something even like divine providence have these laws as well. Right, and Swedenborg says for sure it does. And his list of laws is kind of surprising to me because, uh, and as you say, we're just picking seven of them tonight, but, but the, uh, there's, there's more that you could choose. But um, uh, each one of them in a way is kind of changing people's perception okay. of how things work. Like generally there's a existing perception and his loss, no, it's, it's not that way. It's a little different. So they're very interesting laws to me. Because wouldn't it be, the okay, there's, there's a law of how God does things. God does things however God wants to do them. That's but right. We see it here, a lot of structure. Let's, enough, like, let's show, not tell. What's the, let's, let's take a look at the first law. That we oh, have okay, today. sure. This is from chapter five. Chapter five, yes. It is a law of divine providence that we should act in freedom and in accord with reason. Now, that might strike you as a little like we should act in freedom, but we don't most of the time or something. <laughs> but no, what it's saying is that, um, I, you know, there's been a lot of philosophies over time, hmm. determinism and that kind of thing, that say that there's no human free will, or that if you could really see your genetic code, you're just sort of 
acting out stuff that, you know, and there's no doubt that there's certain things that are in our heredity and all that kind of stuff. But, but Swedenborg saying, no, there's such a thing as freedom. And another point he would make about that is that everybody has it. You can't buffalo people hmm. into something. They're going to act by their own freedom and what makes sense to them. That's what their reason is. And I, I don't know if you know any small children, but I've met some in my time. And even small children have a will and you can't make them, you know, feel different. You know, you, you can't, they, <laughs> no, they're already, they're going to act yeah. according Put to their Put that down. Own. Stop hitting me. These things don't happen. That's right. If I was at home watching this show and we, I saw the beginning part where we were hyping up that these are the laws of divine providence and this is how it works, I would be very weirded out by that as the first law. Because you'd think a law of divine providence would say, God always favors people who something, or right. the big things get taken care of first. But here we have a law of divine providence saying we should act in freedom in accord with reason. So it's actually almost a description of what divine providence protects. Mm. And it's fascinating that this whole freedom thing, again, Swedenborg compounds this point that that's not just an add-on to life, that that is life. And that somehow, because it's a law of providence, us being able to use our rationality and acting in freedom is key to God getting to do what God wants to do. That that, that hmm. can't happen without that engaged. We actually, and, and you see that manifesting even from this very early age that before kids even have a choice about it, you're already following that law in a yeah. sense that you have your own, own will and your own freedom and, and you do what seems right to you. And we could probably talk about each of these laws for an hour. Yeah, that's right. So what we'll do instead is refer you to us talking about these laws. Oh, like a cross-reference? For an hour. Is that we, what you mean? Yeah, we did. Oh, that's very Swedenborgian. When <clears throat> yeah. you think, I mean, Swedenborg's a king of cross-references. Have little, you read his stuff? It's a little amazing. Swedenborg joke for you guys. This is, the, this is a program that we did about the importance of freedom, and particularly freedom at the spiritual level, which would be freedom of motivation and thinking. Check out that episode if you want to know more about this law. In the meantime, we're going to go on to the next law of divine providence. This is the heading for chapter six. That's why you're going to be dealing with this capitalization that you see in front of That's you right. there. Look at the size of that heading. It's not Impressive, going anywhere. It? Yep. It is a law of divine providence. So what, this is the next rule of divine providence. Okay. That we should put aside evils in our outer nature, regarding them as sins and doing so in apparent autonomy. And that this is the only way the Lord can put aside the evils in our inner nature and in our outer nature alike. Again, it's not saying this is how somebody mm. becomes the ruler of a country or this is why the, a hurricane happens or doesn't happen. Here we have Swedenborg saying this is a law of divine providence, zooming in with a little microscope to how we uh, behave and specifically what we mm. do in the realm of character development. This again shows that divine providence concentrates on things that are applicable to every person and the little things that we do in our life matter. Mm. And the main goal of divine providence is to bring us into a more heavenly condition, to angelize us. That's you know, right. To uh, uh, get us ready for heaven if we're at all willing to go, or even just ameliorate us in other ways if we're not willing to go that far. And so this is an interesting one because I think there's been this idea in the human race for quite a while that somehow God could just like, bam, zap, you know, now you have no evil. Yeah. You know, I, got, I know you had some problems. Yep. I took care of that while you were asleep. You're done. 
yeah. and, and you're good. And this says, no, that's not how it works. And very interesting, it says that we have to get rid of them in our outer nature, but we can't actually do the thing that we're just supposedly doing because the Lord will then take care of them in our inner nature and our outer nature. We can't even get to the inner nature. It's above our pay grade. Yeah, and that our participation, even in something that seems like it's superfluous, that it barely matters to the process, that has to happen in concert with God doing it. And, and that you don't even get the result without that. Yeah, yeah and right. that God's doing it in the inner self that we can't, <coughs> sorry, Providence, that we, we can't even touch. It makes me think of when you're exercising or dieting or something like that. If I say, oh, I want to get healthy. Okay, I'll run for a little while. I will try to eat this thing, but all the actual stuff, cellular respiration, the conversion of fats into other things, that's going on in involuntary places in me that I can't touch, and it's more complex than I could ever wrap my head mm. around. This, that makes me think that that must be a correspondence, that, okay, you want to you wanna be healthy? Here's some very easy things, I mean, not easy, but simple things for you to do, and I'm going to do all this crazy stuff, but I can't mm. do it unless you do these yeah, external that's things. Right. And it's humbling because you start exercising, you actually gain weight, you know, because yeah. you're hungry or something. Like yeah. it doesn't work like, oh, I just did exactly the right thing and yeah. got exactly the right result. And yet still, over the long run, that is how you do it. And we did some shows about this. One of them that comes to mind is a show that we did about repentance, that whole process, which is really what Swedenborg's talking about in that chapter heading. That's a process we go through to examine ourselves and to make an effort to lay these things aside, and then God does the magic thing. Because this stuff is what is most important to divine providence, because divine providence is thinking about our eternal happiness. And the more of this work we do, the more happy we are forever. So it's, mm. it matters more than what happens with a ruler of a particular country. Yeah, that's or right. The economy or things, you know, things that are very, very important, but this is even more important. But they're not going to last forever. We did another show that takes a different angle at the same kind of stuff. It was called the day-to-day -day process of our salvation and how mm. here, pictured here, you have somebody just sweeping. Can you even in those mundane circumstances be working for the goals of divine providence? It's not, maybe it's, you don't have to be an only those who are involved in complex geopolitics and spy missions are working the levers of divine providence so that every little thing that we're doing is potentially giving God the avenue to do the, the right. right things. And as we learned in that first law, we have the freedom to do that. We can participate or not yeah. as we want. That's part of the blanket rule. And that brings us to the next one, which is, happens to be chapter 7 in Divine Providence. Capital letters. It is a law of divine providence that we should not be compelled by outward, outside forces to think and intend and so to believe and love in matters of our religion. This guy's the king of the mouthful here, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that we should guide ourselves and sometimes compel ourselves so that not outside forces. Now, wait a minute. There are so many things that happen in the name of religion and spirituality that to me seem like, well, we'll get, we'll make everybody dress this way or we'll make everybody do this and everybody will line up and here will be the rules and, and stuff like that. And yet he's saying that's not going to work. It's interesting how um, the rules are kind of undermining of some of these 
basic philosophy so kind of amazing for him to say hey well if you want to know here's how it works you can, you know that doesn't work how and this is no offense to religious institutions historical and present but hasn't there been so much energy from those into saying we're going to control how people do things and Swedenborg here is saying <clears throat> do you know why that's not really working for you yeah. well it's the same scenario as if you had a baseball and you said this is going to go up but it goes down there's a law of gravity no matter how many times you do that pulling that down here he's saying there is a law that we, we cannot force people <clears throat> we cannot force people in spiritual matters and we talk about this we have a, sh uh, a show called why doesn't god just prove that he exists or why doesn't god prove mm. that he exists and this is actually taken from a treatise in divine providence where I, I just found it fascinating where he lays out the answer to the question if believing in God matters, why doesn't God just appear on the top of Mount Everest or Mount Kilimanjaro and, and make you believe and just be there and let news right. cameras cover it? And this way, you wouldn't that do a great good for the human race because you at least you now everyone would believe and now maybe they would be do the things God mm. is saying because they know God is real. But this ambiguity allows people to reject all that. But because of this law of divine providence that being compelled actually is not good for the spirit, that there's a, a complex reason or a tangibly tangible reason with moving parts in it that says this is why it's better for god to remain hidden than to appear on a mountain it's kind of a radical it's not that swedenborg's entirely individualistic but a lot of these things are pretty radical about the individual aren't they like yeah. you have the freedom other people can't control you or force you i mean it's certainly possible to force people to do things and it's forced Short you can term. force people to do stuff in terms of the law or you can take away freedom and things like that but in religious matters he said it's not going to work because that's part of part of the law another show that we did was about heaven on earth about how to create that heaven on earth which also had to do with these principles and you know, the more i sit with it like the principle of freedom is really, really cool. That is a very, very cool thing. You get that one wrong, you're not understanding a lot of what goes on in this world. Here you can force people to do things. They, we, we could say, you know, you person have to uh, make graphics for a Swedenborg and Life program. That's right. And in a way, <coughs> sorry, I'm really like struggling with that today. In a way they would have to, but there's external bonds, which is like, I'm doing this just so I'll keep my job, or I'm doing this out of fear, or I'm doing this because somebody is going to hit me if I don't. None of those apply to our employees here. Um, but in the spiritual world, none of that stuff holds. Even the fear of reputation or the fear of looking like a weird weirdo doesn't hold anymore. So you have these spirits who dive into things, and that's why God is so interested in, let's invest in you being the one. You talked before about, you have to be the one that banishes these, these sort of societies, uh, it can't be someone else tells you because then it's mm. never really yours. Mm. So that's, that's, right. that's a couple of the laws of divine providence. Are we all we're still here? skimming across. The yeah, area. and we're going to do a little bit more skimming in this next section, but we're going to move into a compilation of laws that all have to do with divine guidance. Mm. Okay, let's see. What do we got now? We've been moving our way pretty much in sequence here. You know, we did five, six, seven. Are we doing eight? I think we might as well. Okay. Why don't let's we do chapter eight? Let's have a look at what chapter eight looks like. It is a law of divine providence 
that we should be led and taught by the Lord. Oh, so now he's talking about how do you get information from yep. the Lord and heaven and so on. Okay. It's a law of divine providence that we should be led and taught by the Lord from heaven by means of the word and teaching and preaching from the word and that this should happen while to all appearances we are acting independently. Again, it's not like, oh, you're going to get a dream that's going to force you to do this or that or the other thing. It's just a book. It's about stories about people that look like they don't matter. You know, thinking about the Bible or other you know, religious literature. It's just yeah. people long ago and far away. And then you just read it and then see whether your heart says, oh, I should probably change the way that I am. You know, yeah. like it's, a, it's an opt-in situation. It's not a hit you over the head kind of situation. And I would say that that last clause, this should happen while to all appearances we're acting independently, that would include our own appearance. Because isn't it true you can start to seek after some kind of spiritual guidance and you can hear messages, but it's not like when you hear them, they suddenly are inside you controlling you. You have to take the time to say, do I believe this? Am I going to try to put it into practice? You have moments of doubting it has any potency. You have moments where you feel like it's more, but it's all got to be that you sometimes have to just bravely venture out and say, all right, I'm going to try to believe in this or I'm going to try to apply this. It seems, and you don't always feel like, all right, all the angels are here with me and God is here with me helping me out. When I was participating in the team that was editing Divine Providence, <clears throat> I have to tell you, this, this material was very impactful on me yeah. personally in terms of I really thought, yeah, okay, you can have a dream or you can meditate or something like that. Something, something comes to you. Uh, you've got to evaluate it with your freedom and rationality. You know, that first law about freedom and reason. And, and don't just take something on somebody else's say-so. Or You know, some people have gone out killing people because they, right. you know, a voice in their head said to do something or whatever. Uh, that's really become very precious to me, that idea of evaluate it. Does it make sense? Can I rationally and freely adopt it? Yeah. You know, and, and that's a good principle to live by. It seems like people are always brought into this state of independence, even if you've had a really positive experience. It's like, let's say, a near-death experience mm. where you have this transcendent spiritual right. thing happen to you and it opens up, oh, I never knew life was like this. This is so awesome. Everything is so great. It seems like everybody, who I've read a lot about them, comes back and for a while they're all blissed out and it's awesome, but eventually they start to come back down and try to interface with regular life. A lot of them come to doubt, was my experience really what it was? It seems like everybody is brought back into this state of having to, seemingly alone, you're no longer surrounded by these good right. vibes and good right. angels, right. That's right. then have to try to say, can I still believe in this world and can I apply it? There's a couple of shows we did about this tricky interface between the divine power and our finite seemingly gatekeeper role. One of them was called The Infinite in You. How many shows have we done? That's amazing. And, and, and how many thumbnails are we going to show in this episode? I know. Stay I know. It tuned. It could be a record. So th this again about the divine and uh, the infinite in you. And this is really the whole game is the infinite partnering with the finite and what that looks like. And wasn't it also a show that we did that had to do with how you write the word on your heart? Yeah. Yeah, I thought we did. <laughs> yeah. Yep, same kind of subject Same there. kind of thing is, is how you take that from, from a book that looks like a, just a Bronze Age text, you know, about animal sacrifice or something. Right. And how you make that meaningful to yourself. Yeah. All right. So then uh, let's move on. Easy got, peasy? Yeah, okay. yeah. Any I, more laws? You I think so. More? I think let's do one more here. 
This is from chapter 9. Again, we're going right along. This will be the last chronological. We'll skip oh, ahead okay. a little after this. <clears throat> it is a law of divine providence that we should not sense or feel anything of the working of divine providence. Wait a minute. But that we should still know about it and acknowledge it. This is a fascinating one. And we talked a little in the previous episode about why it is better at times that we don't understand this one right here, why we don't understand that providence is happening, why we're sometimes kept from seeing it. And, but it's interesting that in there he says um, that we, even though we can't feel it, we should still know about it and acknowledge it. That this sort yeah. of maddening state we're in where you can hear something that seems to make a lot of sense like divine providence and it resonates, you build sort of a little proxy of it in your mind where you think you've felt it or you have an idea of the comprehensive thing and then there's the real thing happening but these two don't just get to interface as much as they want you have to go forward acknowledging its existence but realizing that with your experiential side you're not going to see a lot of it just in the rearview mirror like you were saying right it's not going to stare you in the face mm -hmm. and and especially in the big this is how i found it at any rate uh in the big life decisions Man, you feel like you're on your own. You, yeah. you know, like I've just got to, nobody's going to make the decision for yeah. you. You know, Tell, you've just got to make a call there. And you might say, you might pray and you say, yeah. God, what do you want me to do? But you just feels like you're on your own. There. Tell the story about Swedenborg and his books that you were just telling me that, that he was never given insider information about when to oh, release. Oh, it's really them. interesting. Yeah, yeah. And the, I just found this out that in the course of doing his books, uh, he, he told someone, he wrote a letter to someone about this, that uh, the Lord would communicate with him about eternal life, salvation, stuff like that. But stuff about what was going on, where his, whether his books were being received or whether they were under attack, whether he needed to do something about it or whatever. He said, the angels don't know and the Lord won't tell me. It's up to my own rationality. And so sometimes he wouldn't find out for two years that he was under attack. Yeah. And then he'd get a letter and, oh, and he'd have to fire off a letter. And, you know, he, it, it was really, there was no cheating. You know, there's no sort of inside track or something. He was in the same boat we're all in. Well, then there, cause there you have, you'd think Swedenborg believed he was on a very important mission to disclose information like this and that he was getting all this access to heaven yeah, amazing. and to God. But yet it wasn't, you'd think God could sit him down and say, you release this on this date, I'll make sure that it gets into the headlines of this paper that, and we'll right. get it out there. <laughs> that's right. This, but nope. these, because, why? Because it's the laws of divine providence. It's not that's like it. you're gonna, that baseball's gonna fly up. This is the way it always operates, even in what seems to be a special case of Swedenborg. No, this is still following all the laws. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's amazing. And now we jump from chapter nine to chapter 13 for the next one. And this is kind of a, it's a little bit shorter. Okay, just says that's it. Lower laws third. of permission are also laws of divine providence. What? A lot what, packed what in there. What does that though. mean? Well, Swedenborg explains. Some people get stuck in this thought that oh, God's will is always done. So God willed that car accident or that cancer or okay. whatever. And Swedenborg said, no, 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 no. It's not like that. But there are some things that God wills or that are God's good pleasure. But there are other things that he cannot prevent entirely mm. because of the goal of salvation and the whole, the whole system that we're in. And so that latter category is called permission. The things that God is, is not happy about, 
But yes, it, it must be allowed to happen because that's within the order of things. Yeah. You know, there's no way to entirely prevent it, which makes it sound like he prevents a lot of things, but not all of them. And a beauty of this, some people have had a sort of, you know, this term, the Manichaean, like there's a God of good and a God of evil. Okay. You know what I mean? That, that kind of idea. And that so there's one sort of law of the good stuff that happens, but then there's another crazy law of insanity. And uh, yeah, but Sweden, no, sort of like you and I, same, same, but which same. Is which, I forget right? which is which. Yeah. I always get confused about that. I try to figure <laughs> that out every week. I can't figure it out, but I know one is one and the, yeah. the other is the other. I know that for a fact. But the, the, we were saying the laws of permission are the laws of divine providence. Those cover all situations. They're for evil people and good people. They're for as uh, it, a blanket. There's not two different worlds. There's one law over everything, and it's hard to comprehend, but it's cool. And there is, I think, underneath it all, um, a reassuring, uh, comforting message in there, which is that the laws saying the laws of permission are laws of divine providence means that even though there's all these things that hurt that mm. happen um there's that's the things that happen that are evil is not the things that actually evil or hell wants to do hell wants to do so many more things oh. that happen and wants those things to lead to our eternal ruin but destruction be, on all kinds of levels yeah. right but that everything that makes it through into the world, everything evil that happens, only happens because it fits into the scheme that eventually mm. pe everyone will be happier down the road. The even things that, that now seem unconscionable, eventually, because of the way they affect the free will and because of the way that they we change the way we look at life because of where people need to be at different times during life, in the end, things are only allowed to happen if they build to... Down the road, we're all in heaven, everything is happy, and we're actually deeper, more uh, able to accept the life of heaven people because of all this stuff happening. So to say that the, all of this stuff that thinks that it's evil, that thinks it's ruining life, uh, is actually in the end having to serve that. It's because... It's serving. Yeah. It's serving. It's because the laws... It's only helping. That's right. The yeah. laws are the laws are strong enough that they're bending it towards that. So I think there's sort of a dual. He's saying, yeah, there's no evil that's just as powerful as good, but saying also there's nothing that's just wreaking it, wreaking havoc in its own will. Everything is God is playing chess with it, and it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but it does no. mean that in the end it's going to be okay. Yeah, it doesn't mean there's no mayhem or pain or no, nobody ever does anything bad to anybody yeah. or something like that, but. God's in charge of the whole thing, and there's a plan. This is what I love about these laws of divine providence, that, that they're over everything, and, and we did a show about that, yeah. did we not, about more specifically why bad things happen. You know, how could that be? How could there be a loving God? A lot of people's case against the existence of God is all the horrible stuff that happens. Yeah, well, because there's a lot of horrible stuff, but... Yeah. And this show is not intended to make you feel like, oh, now nothing hurts anymore. This is just to like add a little extra layer of hope onto the misery of life. You know? Even though you can't see it, yeah, to acknowledge it, or, you yeah. know what I mean? Just to embrace the idea. Yeah. Actually, if you could see behind the scenes, yeah. this is what's going it's on. Like it's here, different than you think. Like I, you know, I know you're in this horrible pain. Here's Tylenol. It's not going to take it all away, but it's going to dull it a little bit. That's what. That's the goal of stuff like like that. To yeah. Me. And then maybe you know. Looking back, 
you start to because feel that fever is doing something for right. you or whatever yeah right. or the pain is <clears throat> one more law for you all thank you for sitting with us through these other ones this is chapter 18 the lord cannot act contrary to the laws of divine providence wait this is a law about what you can't do against the law yeah, yeah, right. This is a self-referential law, okay. because to do so would be to act contrary to his own divine love and his own divine wisdom, <clears throat> and therefore contrary to himself. Oh, I love that one. Here we start to be seeming to set fences around God, which again is a strange law, first laws, and then one of the laws is saying God can't really break these laws. And I think how I read the bulk of that is it's saying we might think, there are these laws set up the way the physical world is, the way the interrelation of spiritual and physical, the, the things like we can't know what God is doing. That we might think, oh, those are there and they're, there's, there's such a pain. And God is there on the other side of those, but there are like these bars that we can't get through. And if only God could just reach around and grab us. What this is saying that's right. is... That's well put, my friend. Okay, good. Because well, that's how it feels. Um, I'll try to give a rebuttal to, to the actual life experience good. by saying... The, the things that are guiding the way that life is, as unbelievable as it seems, this is the most loving way, this is the best way, and everything could unfold. So, to, to break those laws, those laws are the Lord's divine wisdom and divine love, arranging things as is best. So to break one of those laws and say, okay, instead of doing what, what the laws command and doing something different, would be to do something in a less loving, less wise way. So you're at, you, that would be God saying, all right, I'm, this is actually going to be worse for everyone, but I'll do it. That's, God doesn't break the rules because of that. Not because he's a stickler for the rules or because he's powerless against the rules. It's because the rules are love. The rules are wisdom. They're, they're himself in a sense. And wouldn't you say there are a lot of, um, I don't know, philosophies, a lot of religious perspectives that have this idea that God has this kind of crazy magical power yeah. and could turn your cat into a dog or could turn me into an amazing person. <laughs> you know, Done. <laughs> wow, that was amazing. Uh, the, the, that there's, and so you almost hold out for like maybe at the end of the game, you'll just ask for like one of those little yeah, you know, like a special dispensation, sure. some sort of thing. The idea to me, it's so fundamental to what Swedenborg says, that the Lord is the system. Like that yeah. is, that's in him we live and move and have our being, it says. And that's good. That's a good thing. And so he can't operate outside of that. And so we did a show a while ago about what, what God can't do, which is such a gripping title i think it's like what yeah what do you mean what god isn't god omnipotent but swedenborg says he's what gives him his omnipotence is his presence within the design of the universe yeah. that's what enables him to do all that is good and to preserve what's wise and loving and to be infinite love to eternity and and uh, which are hugely powerful things in here you start but there's to, some kind of magical, cool, crazy stuff that, yeah. no, he, he, people think he can do that. He can't do that. You start to dip a little into Swedenborg's answer to theodicy or the problem of That's why right. does evil exist there. And, um, and it's interesting to just sort of see it coming away as, oh, th there do seem to be areas of limitation, but it's, n it's not limitation because this is 
the ideal setup and to go against that it's kind of like saying like could you like, everything would be worse yeah anything. like there there are certain moral boundaries that we have that i feel like well i never would do that i could technically but i never right. would you and wouldn't the more the more love you have the less you're able to do that so how much the more laws so. of love yeah that's good man is that all clear Hopefully not. Hopefully not, because we got some Q and A coming up. <laughs> We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. We're going to do a couple minutes. Uh, get on the keyboards and send us what you'd like us to chat about. Okay. So if you're on YouTube, just type a question in, and we'll. You saw how we barely knew what we're we talking will about in the last one. Effortlessly feel that. Oh, just going to be no problem at all. So hit us with your easiest questions. Let's see who <laughs> has got some first. Pete Dawson asks, If those in the world of spirits aren't aware of us here, does that invalidate the many thousands of readings by mediums who pass on messages from the other side? Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are in a very big world. If you just think about trying to apply any... Um, f like any full description of something to all the people in this world, that would be tough. Even if we go back to these laws we're talking about, or we're saying, you know, you, so if you let something out of your hand, it's going to fall. That's how it is. Well, unless you let a helium balloon out of your hand, then it will go up because there's always exceptions to any broad sort of law, unless you really know how to describe it technically. So when Swedenborg says people in the spiritual world aren't aware of us here, that's not always the case. In it's not a blanket. That's true. And generally speaking, for our protection, they are. In Swedenborg's case, obviously, they weren't. And I think it's possible that there could be other people. In other words, I don't think it necessarily invalidates every message that people receive. I think some people, maybe charlatans, are, are getting weird messages that are incorrect or something sure. like that. But some people may actually have a good heart, and for whatever reason, their veil is thin. And so it's within a certain order that they can have that experience where they can see the spirits, the spirits can see them, and they can be some kind of a, a medium of communication. You even see that in the Bible. And I think what, what the witch at Endor, whatever you call her, what she saw when Samuel came up from, you know, mm. was true because he told her a true thing that, uh, you know, Saul was about to die and all that stuff. And, and, and so I think there can be these points of connection, but in general, in other words, it takes an extraordinary situation, a, a person in an extraordinary state, but I think there are, there are people like that. It seems like Swedenborg is the king of describing things and then describing the exceptions <laughs> That's right. to those things. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. And, and it's important to note that when we're talking about these spiritual sort of things that don't take place in a world where we all have a direct line of sight to them, where we can say, look, this is how this is, and I can measure this, and you can see me measure it, it's very easy to sort of conflate things that may be separate phenomena. So when we talk about the evil spirits who don't know that we're here and that specific protection set up, that is a mechanism of something, th these particular spirits who are very close to you in the consciousness network, which we're going to see in a minute, and they're feeding you in a way and allowing you to 
come into your own evil. They're, they're in a very different relationship to you in the spiritual world than perhaps a spirit you come across. Swedenborg does say in a couple places, people who sort of back off from regular communication with others and talk to themselves a lot, they can they at times hear spirits talking right. to them. He talks about that happening as an occurrence. So I would say there's, there's so many variations in the conditions by which we communicate we, we're in touch with the spiritual world that you certainly couldn't say just based on one Swedenborg principle, well, we know then that none of this other stuff can be happening. Right, right. And I think it's so, to me, I think we've talked about this before on the show now and then, that if you evaluate the quality or the nature of the message, mm-hmm. like if the message is invest in you know long-term municipal bonds or something like that, I would be dubious about something like that. Yeah. If you, uh, although I think that's a fine investment, but but the uh-huh. uh, but don't take my advice yeah. on that. But uh, if it's something that heals you, right? You know what I mean, or, or something that light, lightens your load, or something helpful to your spiritual life and things like that. That seems more like a message. It's like anything else that comes into your own thoughts in your own voice. Yeah. You have to kind of evaluate it and see what kind of a message it is. So there you go, Pete. Hopefully that was interesting. Very least. interesting question. Uh, let's take a look at the next one. This is from Yokopo says, can you explain your thoughts on the difference between spiritual truths versus spiritual knowledges and facts? Ooh. Wow, good one. All right. I, s- I got a thought. Yeah, just, oh, it just hit me. Okay. Um, I, I've thought a lot about what Sweden, you know, when you're translating Swedenborg, you run into that word truth you a lot. You know that is. You know, and he does differentiate between these two. So what is he talking about? Well, uh, as sort of a gloss that I've come upon for myself that I substitute for truths in there is marching orders. Okay. Like a lot of truth, he'll use the Ten Commandments as an example of truths. Okay. Which is a really to-do list kind of, it's not just a, did you know there are 43 of these and two of those? You know, it's not that type of thing. It's a, here's what you need to do in order to get to heaven. You know, that's the sort of nature of a truth. So the other thing, if there are 43 angels, as it turns out, can dance on the head of a pin. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be more like a knowledge, or spiritual knowledge or a fact. Generally, anything spiritual has, is something active that you could deploy in your life for the betterment of yourself and other people, I think. But uh, how I would differentiate the knowledge from the, truths is that truths are leading to love or they come from love or uh, and there's a marching order or, or an action item aspect to them how am i doing no i think it's great because you hear him make this strange claim that truth and good and tr- or truth and love always have to go together and that you don't think of factual information as needing any kind of moral component to it or any kind of motivational right. component. But he's The percentage of porpoises in the ocean that, you know, have swallowed plastic or something. It's yeah. not something that you, you, you right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it just, it is what it is. But yet what he calls truth, and he, he then, he like with everything, has an expansive definition for something that seems like it should be in a box based on how we use it in language. But he'll talk about truth as being the manifestation of love, of love, or that the, that he would say that the, even the visible world around us is the truth to the love of the essence behind it. So it's a larger. When he talks about truths, mm. we don't know. I don't feel like I know exactly what he's talking about. But you're saying they have an imperative behind them. They seem to be like there. It's a truth if it will right move you in the direct, and particularly in the direction mm-hmm. of God. 
but yet there's more there. So it does seem that, that to be a truth, you've got to go beyond being a descriptor of reality. Right. And he says that knowledge is like a stone or something. You know, it like might be a little lump of... And that's useful too. It's yeah. hard and solid. You can depend on it. But that, it's kind of inactive. Whereas truth will be like the light that sort of yeah. shows you, oh, this is what's possible. You could go yeah. over here. And, you know... A lot to say, but, but that's a great question and a, and a yeah, very important... Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. Swedenborg... They're all good. ...ism to work through. Okay, well, let's do one more. Mr. Minkers Love Catnip asks, <laughs> I wonder if he's ever heard of Mr. Minkers, how could divine providence lead people to hell? So, divine providence, yeah. from what I understand, all it ever does is leads you... Uh, it leads you into a much milder hell than you were trying to get into. That the win for divine providence, the, the, the essence of divine providence is, and this is a famous Swedenborg quote, the Lord's divine providence has for its goal a heaven from the human race. Yeah, that's, that's right. The, that's the goal of every little bit of providence, hence we see the laws here that are describing ways for you to get to heaven. In the case of people who, but then again, these laws are also laced with this free will thing. So if you, we can't be compelled to do anything. So, if we are dead set on hell, which is not thinking of, oh, I want to go to a place in the afterlife where there's like glowing coals and stuff, but hell is loving the pleasure of dominion over other people, of harming people, of being greater than people. That's the essence of hell. If we, if we see that pleasure and love it and don't accept any pushing aside from it, that we want to make that our main goal, then providence goes into action of saying, well, you want to be completely depraved and antisocial and just groveling in that. I'm going to make it so that at least you go here where you have a, some social, socialness and you can uh, contribute a bit and you, you have still some things that you think are not right. The, the divine providence, it's not just a binary, is it, is it heaven or hell? It's about how different has it steered you from what you're letting your lower nature pull you towards. Yeah, what's the sort of best that you've allowed yourself to achieve? And um, yeah, this is, this is an interesting one because when Jesus says in the New Testament that I go to prepare a place for you, uh, I think there's a sense in which the Lord even prepared, in a way, hell is the heaven that the Lord prepares for people who aren't able to get into heaven, yeah. heaven uh, in a way. You know, and so I think the Lord does have some kind of a hand in that, even though that's not His will. That's yeah. fits in the permission part of the spectrum, and um, and I love this teaching that the Lord doesn't see anyone as being hell. He thinks of hell as something separate from people, yeah. and He's always trying to rescue people from hell. It's kind yeah. of like what I read years ago about people in the far north whose view, you know, you think of the far north and it's all ice and snow. Yeah. Uh, but what the people in the far north say is that the snow is a blessing to save you from the cold. Mm -hmm. Because the snow keeps the temperature, you can make igloos, yeah. you know, you can travel long distances and everything. And so it's just an interesting, you know, a lot of people would think, oh, well, what's horrible about living in that environment yeah. is all the snow. Right. And they say, no, the snow is to save you from, from the cold. And I think the, the Lord sees no one as intrinsically hellish, and so he's always trying to rescue people from that. And so yeah. in that sense, no, he's not leading you into hell, but uh, he can still be guiding you in 
hell, and it says that in the Bible, doesn't it? Even there your hand shall guide me, or whatever right. it is. Yeah. Well, and we often equate heaven with happiness. We say that you're, you know, in heaven, when you're in heaven, you're happy. Divine providence is leading everyone to where they will be the happiest. And we, it's not allowed to tell us what to love. We get to go out and see life yep. and choose what we want Try to love. It on. Yep. Depending on what you love, Divine Providence says, okay, that's what you love. I'm going to get you to where you can be the happiest you can possibly be. Somebody who loves uh, what makes up hell, which were the things I just listed, if Divine Providence led them into heaven, they would hate it there. They would not think it was you fun. You can't breathe. And, yeah, you yeah, can't, right. can't breathe. And, and you're just not interested in the lifestyle. So... Divine, hell is actually, it's not a punishment mechanism in Swedenborg's cosmology. Hell is a mechanism to give you the happiest life you can have. Hell gives you the happiest life you can have without, allow, without you being allowed to hurt people or destroy right. yourself further. And based on choices that you made and things that you love. Yeah. And, yeah. But just given that divine providence cannot compel you to love anything, that we choose to love Divine Providence then says, okay, with that, I'm going to get you to the happiest place you can possibly be. Okay, that's, that's our thought. There we go. That's, a, the, the, again, the problem of evil kind of thing. There's our shot at it. Now, what do you say we get out of question land? Thank you for your questions, but let's just take a quick road trip before we go. All right. I mean, we were just talking up this free will thing and the answer to that question, saying God can't touch what you love. So let's look a little bit at some of the mechanics mm. of why free will is important. Uh, so you remember, yeah, right. remember that we had this network that we talked about before, a consciousness oh, network, right. where God has to come through and through heaven and angelic communities, access us in certain areas, but where we're open to lower things, it has to come through hellish communities that are more suited yeah that's right and this diagram as we were beginning at least to explain in that show kind of clarifies because we draw these things to ourselves because of that law of divine providence and freedom and rationality and so you can't just sort of cut the green wire or the you say well I'll just cut this wire yeah. from this evil spirit down here we you, you can't some outside force can't do that. Yeah. You have to decide, hey, I want to cash in these, almost like when you're dealt cards, yeah. and you say, I'm, I'm, you know, hit me, give, yeah. I'll trade these in for something else. Yeah. And then you can, you can trade up, but that's got to be a decision you make. Nobody can cut that for you. Well, because I think about, you know, when, when uh, somebody's ill and they get some kind of transplant, a blood transfusion or a, a bone marrow transplant, if the body doesn't recognize it as its own, it will reject. It'll reject it. And, 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 and it'll be bad. It doesn't matter how much you say, okay, this is the right thing. This kind of like here, we can, oh, hey, look at that. I made it disappear. Nice. Into the desktop background. Um, we can only, we are the only ones who can buy our, we are the, the body there. And we can slowly, organically change, but nobody can do that from the outside. So this is a little bit on why that is. And this is from his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, okay. 6032. Let's do it. Road trip. The inflow of good from the Lord accomplishes nothing if a person does not do good as if of himself. So that it might be proved it was granted to a certain evil spirit to be led from heaven to doing good things. Oh. This gets at what we were just talking about. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't God just lead somebody into heaven? Yeah. He did, in fact, do good things. Oh. 
But because he did not do them, as it were, from himself, he was led like a person led by another, almost like an automaton that is indeed is moved, but still does not receive anything. By this it was shown that there is no reception, appropriation, or conjunction produced by goodness that a person does not receive from himself in his will or with affection. For the Lord is the acting agency and the person the reacting one. So he, it was robotic for this yeah. evil person to do good actions, okay? Externally it's the same, that you, okay, heaven can force you to do something nice, but there's no conjunction. There's no making that a part yeah. of you. Uh, uh, okay, then, if the reacting agent receives without a reaction, Without a reaction, as it were, from itself, the inflow of good passes through, and the person becomes no better than before. Oh, so you take away that force that's sort of controlling yeah. the, you know... Yes. And, and, and they just go back to what they were. There's no teaching someone to fish. This is, the, without that uplifting from heaven, you'd go right back down. Mm. This can be illustrated by this. When an evil spirit cannot be withheld from evils except through punishments, when punishment is inflicted, he is brought to the point that he does not will what is evil. And when he does not will it, he then casts the evil away. Oh, that's the magic moment, isn't it? That is the society that has an evil of a similar nature. The society is then separated from him. So this is about an evil spirit getting rid of something evil. This is also the reason that there are punishments in the spiritual world. So it's only for reformation. The betterment, yeah. It's, that's not, right. a, it's not actually a punishment or a revenge punishment. Yeah, no, right. From this it can be concluded that a person cannot be introduced into any heavenly society unless he voluntarily wills what is good or flees from what is evil. Isn't that amazing that someone who had been involved in that evil could finally decide, I'm done with this. This hurts. I mean, I, I hate this, you know? Right. And ditch it. And there's a sort of parallel to this in the following passage. Sure. This is Spiritual Experiences 6033 that talks about why... Because some people, when they go to heaven, they find out, hey, everybody's thinking this. I'm thinking the wrong stuff. Uh -huh. and one of the sorts of thoughts that, that Swedenborg sees in the other world is that people think that only your faith, only your belief, just believe and you'll be saved. It doesn't matter yeah. about your good works or anything like that. It's called faith alone. That was big in, in Swedenborg's time. It still is today. Really, but, it's yeah. still, still, still pretty big in, in, in Protestant circles and stuff like that in some. And... Um, and so some people go to the other world and find out, oh, actually, faith alone is not cool. You should be right. thinking something else. And then they want to think different things. And so this is a story about a person wanting to think something different. All right. A person's nature, oh, an interesting definition of nature, is the delight of their dominant love. I saw what a certain person wanted. And then he, as he sometimes does it spiritually, he sort of mentions the person's name. Yeah. It was none other than Archbishop Jacob Benzelius. The Archbishop in, Swedenborg, in, in Sweden was the top person. So this guy actually married the royal couple. Okay. He baptized the royal child who became King Gustav III and all yeah. that. Now he's and died. he was a brother of Swedenborg's brother-in-law. <laughs> Swedenborg's brother-in-law, some people call that co-brother-in-law yeah. or something. Anyway. Okay, so and he's, he's died now and is in the other world. He's died and he's in the other world. He was just archbishop for three years. There's an interesting story there, but we won't go into it. But he wanted all the principles of his doctrine about faith alone that were false to be taken away. Because he would find himself in a different environment. Oh, hey, I, I backed the wrong horse. I yeah. want to ditch this thought. And he wanted genuine truth given in their place. Well, this was done. They're so kind. They said, yeah. sure, we'll okay. do it for you. But I like Swedenborg puts this rather bluntly. 
he was stupid. You know, in other words, he, he became completely stupid. Once as this was taken away. Uh, yeah, as if he had known nothing, and he was unable to return to any degree of understanding until he could return to his societies into which his thoughts had an extension. From this it was clear that a person's thought, and from this their understanding, depends on communication with societies, and they cannot be reformed by these being just removed. You can't just sort of cut the wire on there. It, it doesn't work that way. And that people must of themselves reject these societies. I have seen the punishments of evil people, and that as a result of punishments, they have of themselves banished these societies. Hey, I hate that. I don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. Yeah. And that people should, as it were, from themselves, do this and banish evils. I have seen this often, he says. Yeah, it's just called, like everything, it comes back to Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, where you have... That's right, everything does. Ebenezer Scrooge is hanging out, total miser, doesn't know the meaning of Christmas, doesn't know the meaning of being kind to the fellow human beings. He has to go back and really experience, see the impact he's had, That's experience right. the fear. Only then does he say, I don't want this, and then his life can I change. I don't want it, yeah. yeah. And so they could just say, hey, we're going to change your heart. But that's yeah. not what happens. Yeah. He sees these things. He has to evaluate for himself and say, oh, I've been a fool. I lost love. I lost family. I, you know, I've been horrible. For a little bit more uh, about this, these communities and their rejection or acceptance, we did a show pretty recently called The Angels and Evil Spirits with us. You're welcome to check that out. And, and that, we go way into that about the network and everything. Yeah. That's our last thumbnail for this episode. I don't know oh, if we set it? a record, yeah. but we I tried. We probably did. So, um, so we can't make ourselves heavenly, but our efforts can affect the attachments you know, that we have to these sorts of groups. And uh, It's sort of a fake it till you make it situation in a way, where right. you sort of bootstrap yourself, where you go through the motions because you know it's right. And then magically, it's done for you, but it's gradual. Yeah. You know, but you can actually develop a good heart or some faith and nice things like that over right. time. Well, thanks for everyone for going through the motions of this show with us. But, and we're going to end it <laughs> With uh, you, you know the, best you the ice melter, we we're <laughs> going to hear what you had to say to Kevin. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. If you remember, way way back in the beginning, we said we're going to talk about providence this episode, and I hope we've done that. And we said that we wanted to know from you. One of you noticed divine providence at work in your life, and I'm mm. interested to see what do people say. Yeah, right. This is this is what they mm. said right here. I believe it was divine providence guiding me to come to the U.S. from England so that I could meet and befriend so many wonderful souls who have helped me on my journey. Oh, that's great. It's Pete looking back. When things turn out better than I expected or sometimes worse than I planned, I realize his will, not mine. Mm. I believe divine providence is before us, so I accept whatever comes along as things are as they should be. Nice. I got in a car accident Ooh. and recently in a dreamy state after whiplash, the surrealness of all the passers-by stopping to help along with the paramedics, firemen, etc. gave me a feeling of providence. Oh, that's great. Just under some extreme conditions there. Yeah, a horrifying situation, but then you'd see, oh, no, I'm taken care of. Right. Yeah. right. I've, been so, I've been so close to death two times in my life and was saved once from the thought to put on my seatbelt and once inexplicably when I was almost hit by a speeder. Mm. Honestly, I can't really see divine providence. My life just feels like a whole bunch of suffering. Oh. Hey, hey, he said it. We're all thinking it. You yeah, know, that's it, right. 
even though I have moments of clarity, it's not like I'm walking around saying everything is good. Oh, no. And truly for me, it's like 20 years in the rearview mirror or something. Yeah. I start to see, oh, that's suffering. Yeah. But the suffering I'm going through now, I don't see what the point is. Exactly. <laughs> I right. hate my suffering. Exactly. Like it, yeah. it was active. It's now stopped. I noticed divine providence when I was reading the word as I feel the presence of harmful spirits trying to invade my inner peace given by the Lord. Mm. I think Divine Providence nice. led me to Swedenborg to off the left eye so that I could stop fearing God. Oh. And I was never spiritual before. It's been a wonderful four years. We'd wow, love to have you here, four Carolyn. Years. That's great. Yeah. I'm currently talking, taking care of my mom because of her worsening health conditions. I'm a registered nurse and was not working at the time about a year ago. I feel I am meant to be here as it's my current purpose. Oh, yeah. Be in there for, for a parent. Totally need you. Divine providence leads me to people and to ideas. I would not have been the person I am now if I hadn't met certain people and taken certain classes at the universities I've been to. Yeah, and when you're signing up for that course, you don't. Should I take this? Should I take that? You, yes. you never. Know. You don't know what you're. What what yeah. you know? What the what choice you're making? But once something's been in your life, you just can't imagine life without it. Yeah. I see providence in the way my faults finally come to light for me. I mean, they are evident, but it usually takes some wake up for me to see them, and God provides those wake-up calls. He does kindly do that Thanks sometimes. so much, God. <laughs> I have never thought about His divine providence in my life until I started reading Swedenborg. However, looking back, I can see so many things, see many things governed by His divine providence. Nice. And maybe, you know, you, you just got to have like, okay, what, how do you notice the signs? And then you're starting to see them. Right. Different lens. I think I've always felt that divine providence was happening to me, but it was until I found Swedenborg's writings and off the left eye that I was able to give it a name. Mm. And hopefully that's been a, a good thing. And that's, that's, nice. what, that's what we're trying to do. Working on a book about some very controversial and moral questions. Have sense of being guided and I've had dozens of synchronicities. Oh, I love synchronicities. Yet I will not know if it is real until it is done and received. Yeah. Well, best of luck with your project. That's cool. Over the last five years, God's turned me from a 20-year-old alcoholic gremlin to something much higher, prayerful and reflective. I'd have preferred a softer approach, but <laughs> it worked. And that's right. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah me, me as well. I, I hear you. I'm with you. So, everybody, yeah. thanks so much for being willing to share uh, from your life. It's really been awesome getting to participate with you and go through this same kind of life program and try to pick out, is there something better going on here? I think it's Providence that you are here today to do this show. So I'm so thanks. happy I got the opportunity. Thanks for doing it. Hey, we're a non... We, oh, I was going to say we're a non-profit, but first I'm going to say like and subscribe. We already said it, but do it if you haven't already. It will be Providence that you did it. It's I mean, neat by to definition. see people signing up. There was yeah. like, you know, there's hundreds coming into this thing. It's it's, really which we really appreciate. And if you want to help us continue to exist and talk about stuff, consider signing up for Patreon. That We're a non-profit, so we have to have donations to keep doing what we do. This is an easy way for you to just give a little bit a month, and in return you'll get some behind-the-scenes clips and antics and those kinds of things, just as a little thank you mm -hmm. from us to you. We have a very important announcement. Yeah, we do, don't we? There is no show on Monday. Oh. Because there's a show on Tuesday. Oh, so the left hand taketh and the right hand giveth? Giving Tuesday. Speaking of Giving being a nonprofit, Tuesday. we are at, we are inviting all of you next Tuesday, November 27th, to the off the left eye. Not next Tuesday, meaning tomorrow, but the following. You see it on the screen, November 27th. Oh, Tuesday, as some people say. To the yes. off the left That's eye, right. Giving 27th. Tuesday Party 2018. This will be a show on Tuesday. Shame 
Oh, is it, is it at 7? So we're starting an hour early. Sarah, 7 hour to 9. early, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Two-hour extravaganza. And what we are going to do is go through all kinds of... We're going to have a lot of different people from the team that makes this show possible come in and talk about some of the favorite clips that they've done and delve deeper. That's going to be a fun sort of behind-the-scenes look at some of the people who make the show. And there, stuff. there may well be members of the team playing some music. Oh, really? Including this gentleman, perhaps, oh, yeah? to my left, as a little thank you from us to you. There will be all kind. There will be giveaways and things. Please come and hang out. You're going to be, be able to be a part of helping us continue to do stuff. And this has been fun. This is going to be fun. We've never done something like this, a, a long show. People will be rotating in and out. We're going to try a couple things we never tried before. So we'd love it if you all came to our... And if you can't make it live, it'll still be up for six days or something like yeah. that, isn't it? Like, yeah. like people can it'll be check up. out the show. It'll so be if up. it doesn't work in your time zone or something, you know, you can still have some of the fun. Check us out, Giving Tuesday week. Again, so not Monday, but Tuesday is when it's all happening. And we'll hopefully be able to post an announcement about it further between now and then. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you then. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner with co-host Jonathan Rose. Live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner.